In her article, again, on Mondo Vice, Sarah Dole remind, I guess, the readers several things. One of them is that uh, the one you already mentioned, that a lot of these dishes that are supposed to be at the center of Israeli vegan food is actually food coming from the Levantine, um, hummus, tabbouleh, falafel, baba ghanouj, and so on. Another thing she Mm. mentions as well is that, and I'm quoting, much of the production of vegan products takes place in the illegal Israeli settlements inside Palestinian territories where a significant amount of Israeli agriculture is grown. This poses a moral dilemma for the vegans who are also human rights activists as a lot of the vegan food found in Israel was produced in stolen land inside settlements that violate the international law. So there's also this aspect of how a lot of this food that is uh, created in Israel is actually produced in illegal settlements. And another third thing uh, that uh, people need to remember is that um, the occupation uh, of Palestine affects animal rights movement in Palestine as well. So, So I guess that will lead me to a second part of the interview I want to focus on which is uh, you, uh, your visit to Palestine. So my understanding is that you went to Palestine and participated in a conference uh, that was organized by the Palestinian Animal League. Um, it was organized on May 20, uh, 2018, and it was near Ramallah. And so you went yourself as an animal rights activist, you went and participated in this conference in Palestine that is focused on animal rights. So can you talk to us more about this conference? What uh, what was it about? Um, what did you hear about animal rights in Palestine? What was the, their messages, I guess, to uh, solidarity activists outside? And uh, what was kind of your impression at the end? Um, I spent eight days in the West Bank, the first three uh, at this conference. And um, yeah, the... The conference had been announced in sometime in the fall of 2017. So I, I don't have a lot of means, but I did um, make special arrangements to be able to to travel to Palestine to participate in this, and it was an amazing experience. I think there were about 30 or so uh, activists from around the world. The Palestinian Animal League has been working in Ramallah and some surrounding areas in the West Bank since about 2011. And it's really the only sort of rights-focused organization in Palestine. It's not, it's certainly not without its challenges to be sure, but it's the, the fact that there is a nascent animal movement in Palestine is really significant for a whole host of reasons. And importantly, this conference placed the liberation of animals entirely within the context of the national liberation struggle, which I think is entirely necessary and important. And I think they did a really good job. Some aspects of the conference were like what you would find in in other, you know, major animal rights conferences around the world, there's, you know, the kind of small group workshops, discussions, and just, uh, you know, workshops and lectures on different elements of the situation for animals in various ways. The ones that were very specific to Palestine, though, were quite revealing. And you're you're quite right. There is there is a challenge doing 
animal rights work in Palestine, but all of this is compounded in really dramatic ways by the occupation. So, for example, one of the main projects was a little bit of a welfareist concern, but again, you have to understand the 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 political reality on the ground in Palestine is the situation with, um, for example, donkeys. Donkeys are used really extensively in Palestine, and they are used most particularly by the the Bedouin communities um, inside, you know, the, in the Jordan Valley and so on. Um, but they're pretty nomadic people, so donkeys, you know, they they do a lot of the haulage for these kinds of communities. They're admittedly not very well treated. But this is entirely exacerbated in ways by the occupation. So the Bedouins themselves are constantly uh, attacked and moved and uprooted. Uh, even though they're you know semi-nomadic, they're you know they're they're facing constant harassment and uh, expulsion by the Israeli military, by settlers by the encroachment of settlements, and so on. So if, for example, a Bedouin community had settled in an area even temporarily, if they were to build a shelter for their donkeys, that would immediately be destroyed by the IDF. So there's just even being able to do basic welfare measures are impossible under the occupation. The Palestinian Animal League can't prevent the uh, actions of the IDF. But what they had done is put together a kind of um, care manual for the Bedouins. And the kinds of conversations required to encourage the Bedouins to adopt certain kinds of welfare practices for the donkeys are totally unique to Palestinians and are only something that, you know, a group like the Palestinian Animal League could possibly put into practice and possibly communicate. So it's those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. The League did put together the first vegan cafe in Palestine at, um, at Al-Qudsi University. Um, they have recently this year opened up a veterinary clinic, which they appealed internationally for funds for, and uh, a, a number of other, you know, they have a spay and neuter program and, and so on. A lot of which looks like kind of welfareist, but they do have, you know, a youth for change program, uh, which works with school age kids and university age mentors uh, to initiate their own programs. And they do discuss veganism. And it's a, you know, it's an important political project for animals uh, in Palestine. And it really does face the reality of the of the occupation head on so it's important uh there's important animal rights work in palestine that does need to be supported by the international community and uh this conference was in part designed to gather some of that network and crystallize it into something more concrete and i was really happy to participate it was an extraordinary experience um, in addition to participating in the conference i spent uh, a few nights in Ida uh, refugee camp in uh, in uh, bethlehem and in addition to the conference the league 
brought us to different um, places. We met with the uh, Kaminis, for example, and uh, Ahed was still in prison at the time uh, in the village of Nabisali. That was a, you know, a pretty visceral experience. One of the people that has, uh, there's a, a chef from Brazil that has done a lot of work for a number of years with the, uh, with the league by organizing sort of a, a counterpoint to the, um, the, uh, the vegan tours that you would get in Tel Aviv. Uh, she organizes vegan tours exclusively in Palestine and, uh, you know, makes an you know the 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 point is not just simply talk about veganism in Palestine, but expose the realities of the occupation. And she organized uh, in the days after uh, uh, an afternoon or a day long uh, tour in Hebron uh, for a number of us that had attended the conference, and that was uh, that was very difficult too. So mm-hmm. um, even though I should say too that you know it's been probably fifteen or more years, maybe twenty maybe 15, um, mm-hmm. that I've uh, I've been aware for longer. But, I mean, doing NGO work, uh, participating in, you know, the marches in Toronto and that sort of thing, not an organizer, as say, but an ally and a supporter and conscious of what is happening in Palestine, you know, that's one thing for anyone. But to actually visit Palestine and see some of that brutality up close is, is another matter. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty, um, altering experience. And for that matter, I don't know anyone that who has traveled to Palestine and borne any kind of witness, um, come away with, with, a, a, a similar experience and a re-energizing to get more involved in, uh, in Palestinian solidarity work. After the conference, Vegans for BDS was created. So can you talk to us more about, maybe briefly introduce what is BDS for our listeners who are still not very familiar with that major solidarity campaign? And why did you guys feel the need to have this group, Vegans for BDS? Well, BDS stands for Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions, and that is a call from Palestinian civil society in 2005 and 2006 for a full economic, academic, and cultural boycott of Israel. So major businesses doing business with the Israeli state and everything to do with the Israeli state for that matter is to fall under the the boycott and divestment and sanctions. Sanctions part isn't really hasn't happened yet, but there has been lots of um, good campaigns and successful campaigns that have resulted in um, major major divestment um, of various um, companies from doing business with, that have prevented major companies from doing business with the Israeli state. It's a centerpiece of the Palestinian solidarity struggle. And um, in the aftermath of the conference, the animal conference in May of 2018, there was an infrastructure being built up to support the Palestinian Animal League directly, and that is with fundraising and speaking about the situation in Palestine and to help uh, promote some of the local initiatives to a wider international audience. And a lot of us were already speaking about vegan washing and the, the, the need to uh, get involved with wider Palestinian solidarity work. So there has been 
particular node that I've played a pretty prominent role. There's a very strong group in Brazil. There's a very strong group in uh, Spain, uh, more developing in the UK, uh, France, Italy, and uh, Australia, and of course, Canada and the US. In the aftermath of that conference, though, in addition to doing sort of PAL-specific work, the Animal League-specific work, there's you know a lot of us like myself that wanted to do uh, things a lot. You know, take a more direct role in the Palestinian struggle writ large. And so um, part of that PAL solidarity network just kind of informally became Vegans for BDS. But this year in particular, Vegans for BDS has taken you know, we've gotten ourselves a lot more organized and started to doing started doing very specific organizing in uh, different cities around the world to build some capacity, develop an international organizing body, and uh, produce materials and that kind of thing. Um, it is one of one of the more public first events was this um, uh, event in Toronto, specifically talking about uh, vegan washing and. Uh, and opposing it. It was a pretty provocative title, No Vegan Washing Israeli Crimes. <laughs> and it drew a bit of a protest. So there is a website coming and there are, you know, new campaigns that we're strategizing for. It'll take a little bit of time, but like like anything, but I think there is some extremely important political opportunities uh, to do in this work that could that could crystallize around certain kinds of campaigns that we're hoping to get initiated. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned this uh, this panel discussion that happened in Toronto in August uh, was organized mm-hmm. by Vegans for BTS in conjunction with Animal Liberation Currents magazine. Uh, you ha- you guys have a video of it, so I do invite people to mm-hmm. go listen to it. They're very interesting. Someone from the Palestinian uh, Animal League also talked. But also it was talked about because there was uh, a lot of backlash and disturbance that happened during the event, even before it. Can you talk to us more about that? Like, first of all, what was the goal, I guess, of the conference? Why did you think it's important to have it? Who was invited? But also maybe talk about the pressure you start having even before the conference started. I believe at one point you guys had to, uh, to change the venue as well. So what happened? Right. Well, it was the case in in Toronto for a number of months now that Palestinian solidarity events have been pretty controversial and starting to attract a very vocal response from Zionists. We held our event, and, and again, the provocative title was intended to attract activists who are concerned about Palestine and who are vegan and who are a little bit tired of the kind of liberal reformist view of typical animal advocacy work. And that's certainly true in Toronto. I would describe a lot of animal advocacy work as pretty liberal reformist. And so there was an attempt to attract a bit more of a radical crowd. Unfortunately, it did attract a lot of Zionist opposition as well. But what was most basically we had about 20 people or so try and enter the event to disrupt it and they were held to the the hallways of the classroom at uh, Oise in Toronto at UFT where we had the event and um, it delayed the proceedings for about 20 20 25 minutes or so before we could get going 
So it was a bit of a nuisance, but there was no lasting damage to our event. Um, it is true we had to move the location. We originally had it at uh, the, the Friend House, the Quaker organization, um, but after a, a credible threat of disruption, they did cancel that and canceled another Palestinian solidarity event about a week and a half before us at exactly the same time because of, uh, you know, it was pretty much exactly the same threat of disruption to that event as well. The the main takeaway that I took from it was that even though we, the organizers, had prepared ourselves for a disruption by certain elements of the Zionist community in Toronto, none of that kind of materialized. What was really alarming was that all of the 20 or so people that attempted to disrupt the event were active members in the animal advocacy community in Toronto. And um, I'm not entirely sure how unique that is in Toronto, but I, I think just given the kind of orientation of a lot of animal advocacy work in the U.S. and Europe generally, that it has allowed perspectives like Zionism to operate a little bit, uh, operate a lot more freely than they should. Um, there isn't the kind of um, radical connection to the wider left by a lot of the animal advocacy community in most in most cities in the West. And that's a really big problem. I should, without hesitation, point out that the left is a really terrible perspective on animal rights and animal liberation issues, uh, which makes dialogue and places for solidarity almost non-existent. So the left, the wider left bears a lot of responsibility for this as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it is true that there is a pretty disturbing streak of Zionism and other kinds of uh, reactionary politics that do filter through various animal advocacy communities without challenge. And that really is a problem that needs to be uh, addressed and addressed soon and addressed decisively. We, I mean, we did manage to have our event and um, some important takeaways from that event from the participants that were there were that, yeah, there are indeed a lot of people who want to do something a lot more radical where it comes to animal advocacy and do care about the Palestinian struggle very much and are very excited to uh, have an opportunity to uh, do both in this in the, in a in a, a joint kind of way and vegans for BDS is potential to provide a lot of that and um, you know it's a really exciting moment actually to be doing this kind of activism and uh, when I read your article about this event, that was what I thought was interesting because my first reaction when I, I was reading about all the things they did to disturb the event, my first my first reaction or my first assumption was that these are not vegans. I was even telling myself, you know, I bet most of them were not, are not vegan or are, are not even animal rights uh, activists. And then I was yeah. shocked when you continue when I continue reading the article that actually a lot of them were actually from the community. You also talk about how even before the event started, there was many groups, you guys, I guess, approached them to put ads or posts on social media about the event. Groups like uh, Animal Rights Toronto, uh, which is a Facebook group, or uh, York University Feminist for Animal Rights and other groups, and they, they refused to uh, advertise the event. Yeah. 
Um, we did have quite a difficult time getting individual animal rights groups to, um, I mean, we weren't asking for outright promotion to the exclusion of other events, of course. Newman would, would do that. But we were asking for the events to be posted and circulated for people to have an opportunity to engage just as they would engage any other animal-focused event in the city. And, I mean, we had... The, the change of venue initially came with a massive delay. Um, we were originally going to hold this in June, and it ended up being early August. So the event was advertised for several months before it was held, and it was always a struggle to get um, animal groups to, uh, to post or circulate anything about the event. And some were pretty forthright in saying it's, it's uh, too controversial or um, just gave us complete silence which is um kind of the same thing and um yeah we actually found to our surprise it was more of the palestinian solidarity groups that uh gave us immediate unconditional uh support uh for this event in fact there was lots of talk because we were experiencing some harassment and intimidation to try and get our venue changed and all that kind of thing. There was quite a bit of close contact and discussion from various other uh, Palestinian groups because they're, we're all experiencing the same kind of thing. So in the end, there was uh, just, you know, there was a noticeable, noticeably, um, noticeable imbalance in support between the Palestinian solidarity groups, the other Palestinian solidarity groups around Toronto and um, the animal groups. And um, yeah, that, that needs to be balanced out a lot more, but that will just take more activism. So. Mm-hmm. This conference is organized by Vegans of BDS again. And you talked at the beginning about how you guys are now starting to really organized to launch campaigns. Uh, one of uh, the most recent campaigns I guess you guys are organize, uh, organizing around is the it's, uh, it's around the Tel Aviv Healthy Vegan Conference. And uh, my yeah. understanding is that you recently got good news and some people did pull out of the conference because of your campaign. So can you talk to us about this conference and what are you guys asking the participants to do? Uh, well, this just came up pretty recently. Um, I believe it's this weekend. There is a um, there's an organization called uh, Veganism is Healthy not, uh, or Vegan Friendly. And there is a convention in Tel Aviv uh, called Veganism is Healthy. Uh, but it it actually features six uh, international, mostly American, um, you know, health professionals uh, who will be speaking at this. So it's not really something that's uh, uh, internal to Israel. It's making use of very high-profile um, vegan professionals, uh, mostly from the U.S. So we we only got wind of this quite recently and um, put together a very quick letter, which we um, sent to the prospective participant and uh, also put uh, a petition on change.org. Um, the, we did not get a direct response from any of the um, prospective participants, but we did ask them uh, to withdraw from this conference on uh, Palestinian solidarity grounds uh, and to respect the, um, the, the BDS picket. Um, 
two two of the six participants will not be speaking at the conference, but it's not entirely clear whether it was pressure from our petition and letter. Uh, there was a bit of a social media interaction where they um, seemed to indicate that it was BDS pressure to the organizers, but they have since, um, at least one of them has come out on social media kind of um, uh, expressing their disdain for vegans for BDS and to, you know, quote, stop spreading falsehoods about the reasons for their participation uh, or lack of participation and claiming that now that they have withdrawn for health reasons um, and totally unrelated for totally unrelated to the BDS picket. So how successful our our intervention has been is still a bit of a question mark and we'll see over the next uh, few days. Um, but there's plenty of opportunity to to follow up with these uh, with these folks. Um, to be honest, I have very low expectations that any of these people are really going to follow through um, with a acknowledgement that they are respecting the BDS picket. But it is the case that these are all high profile vegans, and um, it is totally appropriate to. Uh, to ask them to respect the the boycott, and that's exactly what they did. This is actually the very first such petition that we have initiated as Vegans for BDS, Um, and uh, there'll be many more. So finally, I guess my question is, what do you think um, vegan activists and animal rights activists in general, what do you think they should do now to reappropriate their movement? Because we've been talking how it has uh, veered to a very liberal mainstream type of, um, it it lost its original kind of anti-oppressive radical kind of roots. So what needs to be done now so activists can reappropriate that movement so it's not as easily co-opted by oppressive regimes like the apartheid Israeli state? Well, I think there's lots of potential with an organization like Vegans for BDS and doing explicit animal liberation work or bringing an animal liberation perspective to the Palestinian solidarity campaign. How this is all going to be is a little bit unclear. Certainly over the next you know, coming months and even years, uh, it's going to take very dedicated work to build political capacity on the ground and to build a genuine fighting movement but there are there are some goals that do need to be kept in mind i mean for starters there really is like unlike the case with say queers against israeli apartheid uh, which reacted almost immediately to the the phenomena of pink washing i mean this is like within months of it being an identifiable tactic of brand Israel, a number of really progressive LGBT organizations were were organizing against it. In the case of vegan washing, even though it isn't quite as overt, I mean, we can point to you know the the Vibe Vegan Tour and um, some of the occasional social media marketing of the IDF and a few other things, but it hasn't been nearly as prevalent as the pinkwashing phenomena. That being said, this kind of weaponization of veganism has had some clear moments, as to speak, and it's been, it's been almost five years uh, where it's been on the agenda, and there has not been 
any kind of meaningful response from the animal advocacy movement. So it's taken it's taken vegans for BDS to sort of acknowledge that phenomena and take the responsibility on behalf of the movement to address this phenomena. And um, you know, can't change the last five years, but now that vegans for BDS is a reality, um, we can say confidently not in our name. And in addition to simply meeting that basic responsibility, I think there are two important dimensions to Vegans for BDS, which really should be a top priority. For one, in terms of the Palestinian campaign itself, the Palestinian solidarity campaign, you know, vegans can bring a pretty unique perspective on some solidarity work and can take on certain kinds of campaigns that can't really be done as effectively without that, you know, quote-unquote vegan voice. So take, for example, Sabra, the hummus brand. That's been on the, you know, the (laughs) informal vegan boycott list from the very beginning. It's um, part of Strauss Group, which is a, you know, an open supporter of some of the most notorious military brigades going right back to the Nakba provides them with care packages and all this kind of stuff. Sabra is still an immensely profitable company. Sabra is now jointly owned with PepsiCo Corporation. It is a it's a, a grocery item which is available everywhere. It's a very difficult product to effectively boycott. Well, maybe not so much for vegans if we really wanted to because we've been all about grocery boycotts <laughs> and so, so for decades um you know we're talking about you know we want a non-violent food system so that's been a big focus of of all animal advocacy work is to is to change diets and food systems and so on so we may in fact be better placed to handle a boycott campaign over a product like Sabra. Maybe not, but at least we should be having that kind of conversation. And, um, you know, maybe there is, in fact, a larger corporate campaign that could include PepsiCo as a whole. That's, you know, admittedly something that could only be far off in the future, but, I mean, it's something that we should be you know, looking towards. Uh, SodaStream is another one. I mean, it's been a partially successful boycott target uh, for a while, but there's lots of others where a non-animal product could potentially be a very, you know, if if vegans got on board, could be a very effective uh, or renewed target in the world for the for the campaign that is. The other element in all of this is injecting a little bit of a renewed radical life into the animal advocacy movement as a whole. You know, you cannot do BDS work as vegans without an implicit understanding that veganism is not simply a diet. It is not simply uh, a lifestyle. It is not simply an identity. It is a political project for freedom, just like it is for every other honest social movement we should be clear about that and um you know i 
think doing this kind of work where you're going to have to face some pretty significant um, or engage in some pretty significant battles within your own movement, um, the movement will be much better, much stronger for it. And I think that's the other element in all this, which I, you know, these three elements are part of the promise that Vegans for BDS uh, has about it. And I think it's a really, again, I think it's a really exciting moment to be doing animal advocacy work um, uh, in this particular context because it, it wraps all of these concerns together. With me on the phone, Michael Adario. Michael is the editor of Animal Liberation Currents magazine. He is an organizer for Vegans for BDS and has been an animal rights activist for over 20 years. Today, Michael was joining me on the phone to talk about vegan washing and the failure of vegan and animal rights activists to stop it. So thank you very much, Michael, for talking to me today. Not at all. Pleasure having me. My name is Sausan Kadura and you are listening to Under the Olive Tree.